Thanks for singing with us. And thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I know sometimes you get Pastor Al, sometimes you get me, but in case we haven't met, I'm Johnny. I'm one of the pastors, the associate pastor here. September will be five years that Al and I have been here at Shalford. Uh, we're excited to have been. Thank you, Miss Nancy. <laughs> thank you, Miss Nancy. Uh, we, we have been in a series on discipleship. Lynn mentioned that just a second ago. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's just, it's worth saying every week, what's a disciple? We talk about discipleship. Maybe you've been around the church, you hear the word discipleship. And we said a disciple is just someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and joining Jesus on mission. We get that from Matthew 4.19. Jesus, the first disciples, they're sitting there fishing. He says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And so we felt like, hey, let's spend a couple months just leaning into what does it mean for you to be a disciple? Uh, what are all the different elements that are laid on the table? So we've talked every week about different portions of discipleship. The last two weeks we've been in Scripture. And the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about prayer. I don't know, maybe you just heard that and you thought, uh-oh. Maybe all of us would say, I, I don't pray enough. I need to pray a little more. Maybe all of us would say, yeah, I mean, it, it could improve a little bit. Maybe you have some right answers about what prayer is, but I think all of us would probably agree, maybe I ought to pray more. Well, this is not going to be a sermon about praying more. This is not going to be a sermon about trying to teach you all the ways you can try to add more prayer into your life. What I wanted to do this week was to say, if we were to find one place in Scripture that gets at the essence of what prayer is, where would we go? We landed in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. So if you have a copy of God's Word, Turn there, and we're going to read God's word here in just a second. But I want you to think about prayer for a minute. What is it? What is prayer? What have you been taught prayer is? If I were to look at your life, what is prayer? What do you think prayer is? Let's look at God's word and let's see what it says. We actually won't find the word prayer in these verses, but I think there's no greater invitation than what we're going to read here in Hebrews chapter 4. So this is Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. God, we draw near this morning. And it's like Psalm 27 says, for one purpose, we want to seek your face. We want you, God. So we pray that you would speak to us through your word and give us more of you in Jesus' name teach us how to pray. Amen. Whatever we might think about prayer, I hope these three verses will shape us this morning. See, I, I tend to break my life up into two big categories. Certain times, my life seems to be going really smooth. Sometimes I can't even explain it. Those aren't like the least busy times. Sometimes they're the most busy times, but you just feel like you can't miss I grew up playing sports, and so, you know, baseball, they'll talk about the ball just seems huge to a guy. He's just, every time he comes up to bat, it seems like he's hitting the ball well. Or basketball, it's like, man, he's shooting like the hoops this big around. He can't miss. He just keeps, sometimes life feels a little bit like that. Y 
Things are going smooth. Things that maybe in another season of your life would be a problem, but right now it seems like, hey, everything seems to be, you know, in step. I'm hitting. Hey, uh, you ever ask somebody, how can you pray? And they go, you know, I'm pretty good right now. <laughs> Makes me laugh a little bit. I'm like, I'm never good enough that I don't need prayer. But, you know, we all have times that life feels like it's going smooth. But then the other, you know, I, there are times life's just rough. And those aren't always the, the busiest times or the things I've got the most on my plate. But for whatever reason, it seems like I can't make anything. If I can't miss on the one hand on this one, it's like I can't help but miss. Everything is a misstep. Everything that could become an argument is an argument. Every opportunity for anger is just taken full force. And I'm stepping, I mean, impatient, selfish, greedy. And it seems like my life kind of swings between I was writing, praying yesterday morning, and it helps me sometimes to write it out. And I've been reading 2 Kings, and you go, okay, what's the spiritual lesson in 2 Kings? And here's one of the things I drew from it. Sometimes my days feel just like when you're reading about the kings in 2 Kings. One king in one chapter, he did what was evil in, in the sight of God. Yeah, that feels like some of my days. Then you go to the very next king, and he did what was pleasing in the sight of God. Then the very next king, he was evil in the sight of God. And then the next king, he did what was pleasing, but not all the way. He left the high places. They were worshiping other gods, but mostly he did what was pleasing. And I'm like, yeah, I can identify with kings. This kind of is like the story of my life. It's kind of my journal right here. Some days it feels like I'm doing what's evil inside of God. Some days it feels like I'm doing what's pleasing inside of God. But here's what I've learned about when I, my life breaks up into these two categories. I tend to think when my life is going smoother, God's closer. And I tend to think when my life is rougher, God's farther away. Do you identify with that? I mean, I tend, now I know that that's not true, but, but do you identify with how you feel? It's hard to feel like God is close when things are difficult. But there's something in my own flesh that when, when I seem to be moving well and hitting on all points of my relationships and my work and I'm sleeping good, I mean, all this stuff seems to be going well. I, I just feel like God's closer. I feel like there's not as much hindering my relationship with him. But, you know, that's really not true at all, right? I tend to think I'm nearer to God when my life's going smooth and further when my life is rough, but neither one of those are true. And Hebrews 4 14 through 16, gives us something more sure and more constant than just how well our life feels like it's going. It gives us something more sure and more, more constant. It gives us something we can ground ourselves in that's unchanging. And here's what it is. The person of Jesus. And that's what he starts off in verse 14. He says, let us hold fast our confession. That's our first point this morning, our confession. Now, we don't talk about confession a lot, but it's kind of used in the church world in two big ways. One is confession of sin. I need to say what's true about my sin, the same thing God says about my sin. And then confession also will be used in a way, maybe you're not as familiar with it, but the confessions of the church. So we might say, hey, here's our confession, and we might read a statement of faith together. And so those kind of two big ways, and the way it's being used in this verse is that second way, saying, let's hold fast to our confession. Let's hold fast to the thing that we say is true about Jesus. Let's hold fast to it. Why is he saying hold fast to it? He's saying regardless of how you feel, life smooth, life rough, whatever you may be going through, hold fast to your confession. Why? Because we have this kind of great high priest. Now, high priest doesn't hit you the same way it hits first century former Jews. The priest to them meant almost everything because the priest was the great bridge between God and man. 
the priest was intended to bridge the gap and represent the people to God and go in and make sacrifices and then also represent God to the people. That's why they were set apart and holy. And so what, what he's saying about our confession is, first, let us hold fast to the fact that Jesus is our great high priest. He perfectly bridges the gap between God and man, between heaven and earth. He's the great high priest. What did priests do? They offered sacrifices. Well, Jesus offers the perfect sacrifice himself. That's what Hebrews is going to go on to talk about. He perfectly atones for our sin through his death. But not just that his sacrifice is perfect. One of the fatal, I mean, it's just one of the biggest flaws of the Old Testament. You could have a great high priest, but here's the truth. He's going to die. Our great high priest, he's alive. He's been raised from the dead. See, the Bible, when it talks about sin, it describes it as death. And when you're in a state of death, you don't have any hope of walking out. You need someone else to go in there and get you. That's exactly what Jesus did as our great high priest. He, he died and offered the perfect sacrifice, but then he's alive. He's been raised from the dead. So now his mediation, that's what it means that he's bridging the gap. He's a mediator. His mediation is perfect. That's what it says in verse 14. He's passed through the heavens. What that means is he, he's not just resurrected, but he actually ascended to the very presence of God. He's not ministering in a man-made temple on earth that Hebrews later is going to call just a copy of the heavenly things. He's in heaven itself. He's not before the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence. He is in the presence of God himself. So when he prays for us, he is with God. He mediates perfectly. So we hold fast to this confession that this is who Jesus is, that he is the great high priest. But notice that this passage doesn't stop there. It goes on to talk about another thing about Jesus, that Jesus is a great high priest, but Jesus sympathizes with us. Do you see that in verse 15? We do not have a high priest who is unable. So he's not unable, double negative, track. He is able to sympathize with us. Jesus sympathizes with us. What? The word sympathize, we use the word, I use the word. You know what it means to suffer with? Like in the Greek, that's literally, it's the prefix that means with, and then the verb that means to suffer, to suffer with. Jesus sympathizes with us. One of the things uh, scholars look at the book of Hebrews, and they, you can discern a little bit about their situation based on what the writer's writing about. Okay, they must have been struggling with some of these things because he's addressing these things. And it seems like in Hebrews, he, he's talking to people who are suffering, going through hard times, but he's also talking to people who it seems like had maybe had this view of like, and does Jesus really know what this is like? I mean, if you talk about the high and the holy and the great high priest, but does he, can he stoop down into my problems? And, and the writer here in Hebrews 4 is saying, yeah. He can sympathize with you. He's walked a lifetime in your shoes. He's lived a lifetime. He is well acquainted with what verse 15 says, with weaknesses. Through experience, he became familiar with human. He didn't just read a book about what it meant to be human. Jesus became human so that he could sympathize with you. He's not put off by your weaknesses. He knows exactly what they're all about. And remember, this first part is our confession. Before we move into prayer, we cannot have the confidence to pray in verse 16 if we don't have the confession in verses 14 and 15 because the only thing that gives us that confidence is to recognize that Jesus brings us there. 
Jesus brings us there. So we're, so we're learning about our confession of Jesus, that he's the great high priest, but he sympathizes with us because he, he's familiar with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, but he's also, he was tempted just as we were, yet he never sinned. One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, what does that matter, that he was tempted but he didn't sin? Listen, I could not find a better explanation than C.S. Lewis. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says about temptation. A silly idea is current that good people don't know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the fullest what temptation means. He's the only complete realist. Do you track what he's saying? The only way you can know the full strength of temptation is to continue resisting. I kept thinking about the illustration of working out. Like, I don't know what it means to be that strong because I've never pushed against that kind of weight. I've never held it for that long. Have you ever passed in the mall, they've got like a pull-up bar, and like, if you can hang here for 100 seconds, we'll give you however much it is, 100 bucks, 500 bucks, or whatever. And I always think, that can't be that hard. You're just hanging there. And then I do like 30 minutes of yard work, and I wake up sore the next day, and I was like, ah, maybe I can't hang from that pull-up bar for 100 seconds anymore. But, but it's that same idea of temptation. Who are the people that can hang there, the, long, the people that are the strongest? Who, who's somebody that can withstand the temptation that we've all given into? Christ, because he's withstood it. And he didn't stand against it so that he could lord over us. He stood against it so that he could say, I've got what you don't, and I'm willing to give it to you. Well, the first step to understanding prayer is what Hebrews 4, 14, and 15 remind us. Hold fast to our confession about who Jesus is. One of my favorite verses in all the Bibles, Isaiah 57, 15. God dwells in two places, the high and the holy, and with the lowly and the contrite. If we're gonna have a right view of God, we have to always go back to that verse and that theological principle that if God is only in one of those places, we sacrifice everything about who God really is. If he's only in the high and holy place, then we'll never know him and we can never be with him. But if he's only in the lowly and contrite and he's not high and holy, then he's not a God that's worth being worshiped. But if he's both, then we have a reason to be here this morning. We have a reason to sing. We have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to be open about our weaknesses and about our temptation. And I believe in the God of Isaiah 57 15 that he is in both places. And that is exactly what Hebrews 4 14 and 15 is saying. He is the great high priest who is holy, who has passed through the heavens, the very Son of God, who also sympathizes with you, suffers with you. Now this is all leading to verse 16. He says, let us then, then, because of what's come before, all what's come before is leading up to a conclusion. These last couple verses is coming up to a conclusion. And what is the conclusion? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So now we're talking about our confidence. 
our confession in Jesus leads to our confidence. And you can't have confidence in prayer unless you have a confession about Jesus first. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Let's recover that. Not just tag the end of our prayers with it. Like Al challenged me over the years. Hey, you, you say that really fast at the end. Just slow down and think about it. In Jesus' name we pray. Now when we get to prayer, here, here's what he says about it. Let us then with confidence. So first, we can come confident. We can come confident. Now this word confident, it's interesting. It, it actually uh, was used in first century times almost as like a free speech kind of word the way we'd think about. But it's something like boldness and openness and honesty. I mean, I'm thinking vulnerability in the way that you speak, like not holding anything back. You ever have someone pull you in for a conversation and you're, you're kind of figuring out how deep can I go with this person? And then you get this sense or maybe even they say to you, hey, this is a safe place. You can say whatever you got. Th that's what this word confident is portraying to us. We don't have to be scared or timid wondering if God's listening. He invites us to be confident with him. I can come confidently to the throne of grace. I can come confidently to talk to God. This is a Psalm 42. He, in Psalm 42, he's praying, he's lamenting, he's remembering when he was on fire for God and how he's not now. And he says, as I pour out my soul. Because of what we believe about Jesus, you can come and pour out your soul. There's no sin that's too bad for him that he's going to cringe at. There's no weakness that he's shocked at. You can come confidently. But we come confident not in ourselves, in Jesus. Just like I started by saying sometimes your life's going smooth. Maybe you feel like God's closer. It's going rough. You feel like God's farther. But actually our access to God is not hindered just because we've blown it. That's not it at all. That actually qualifies you to come. That actually qualifies you to come to Jesus. See, your access to God is also not better because you've been on your game lately, but your access to God can always be marked by confidence because of Jesus. So then we gotta move on. Second, what, what are we to do confidently though? He says, let us then with confidence. Okay, confidently is how we're doing this, but what are we doing? Draw near to the throne of grace draw near. That phrase has been captivating me all week. So much so, I really struggled to write much about it because I just kept thinking about it and I kept thinking about how do I draw near? And it's that phrase that led me to this passage to talk about prayer. Maybe when you think about prayer, you think of a list of things to ask for. Certainly. There's scriptures we could go build that on. Matthew 7. Ask, seek, knock. Let, let's Let's petition God for things. Let's make intercession and pray for other people. Let's absolutely do that so long as we first remember that prayer is about drawing near to God. You know, the way that God wants to relate to you, he intentionally chose, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the author of Hebrews would write the word near. He's not far. You don't have to write letters make phone calls. You don't have to wonder when you're going to see him again. Hey, he says, draw near. I wonder if you've thought this week about your relationship with God in terms of nearness. How do you view God? I had a counselor one time say, I want you to draw a picture of the way 
that describes your relationship with God. I thought, here we go. We're doing this. We're doing the mushy stuff. So naturally, I put it off until 20 minutes before our next session. What in the world? Draw a picture. I don't draw pictures. I didn't, I didn't know what to draw. I didn't draw a picture of the way I relate to God. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking. I'm like, he's, he's about to call me in 20 minutes. We're going to do a video call. What, what do I say? So I just pray. I said, God, what, what, do I, what is this? What do I need to draw here? here's what I drew. I drew a coach. I drew God like he was a coach. And I drew myself on the sideline. Not because I think I'm never in the game, but because the point was, am I good enough to get in the game? Or if, or if you mess up, you get banished down to the end of the bench down there. But it's constantly, constantly a tryout. Constantly wondering, did you make the team? Are you good enough? Do you have the coach's approval? I had no idea. That's what I really in my heart thought about the way I relate to God. And I don't know what picture you would draw. I'm not giving you that assignment. You don't have to turn that in, but it was a good exercise for me. But do you know what Scripture says? Draw near. Draw near to God. Come close. So if you would ask me, what's the, I mean, at the core, what's the essence of prayer? Get close to God. I mean, just get drawn near to his throne of grace. Draw near to God. Don't stand back. D don't wait until next Sunday to pray, which we're going to pray next Sunday. We're going to have some special prayer times. That's going to be week two of prayers. We're going to practice it. But don't wait till next Sunday to pray. And when you pray, realize you're, you're drawing near to a person who. He's high and holy, and he sympathizes with you. You can tell him anything. You can pour out your soul to him. But do you consider your relationship with God as a relationship of nearness, intimacy? That, that would revolutionize the way we walk with Jesus if we understood that prayer is an invitation to intimacy with God. But, but here's the other part of that. So what are we to do confidently? Draw near. Where are we drawing near to? The throne of grace. Is there a better juxtaposition of words in all of Scripture? Throne of grace. A place of kings and rulers and mighty strength, the throne. A place of generosity and kindness and gentleness and making up for what we lack. Grace. Again, you see Isaiah 57, 15. The throne, the high and holy throne of God is a throne of grace. And these two things come together in the person of Jesus. So the place that you're invited to come to is a throne of grace. It, you're invited to come to the king. You're invited to come to the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the creator of heaven and earth, God of the universe. You're invited to come so long as you recognize that his throne is not just a place of power, that you have to come in and not make eye contact, but it's a place you come in to find grace. It says here, to receive mercy and find grace to help when in time of need. We don't come to prayer because we're good. We come to prayer because we're needy. Just like church. Don't come just because you think, I had, a, I had a great week. I think I'm good to come this week. Or 
I don't know, just had a bad week. I don't, I don't know if I'm in the right mindset to go. That's the exact mindset to come. That, that's the exact one you need to be here is when you feel like you've blown it this week, when you feel like you've had a bad week, you've been distracted and mad and angry, you, you've just, you, you've got a long list of sin, you feel like I'm not, I don't feel like it, I don't want to bring my Bible, I don't want to read it, that's the exact mindset to come. Well, how do you know that, Johnny? Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, right here in Hebrews 4, 16, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We pray because we're needy. What kind of need is drawing you near to God right now? What kind of need is in your life? Could be a felt need, could be a relational need, an emotional need, spiritual. What kind of need is drawing you close to God right now? What are some ongoing needs that you find yourself often praying for? See, we, I think, often pray to God because of some need we have in our lives, and then once we start praying, we discover that God is really our greatest need. It's our needs that bring us to God, and then when we get there, we find all we need in Him. And we realize that even if none of this stuff comes, later on in Hebrews, I think it's 12, 10 or 12, He's gonna talk about people who are running after God and they turn and they see the they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Remember hearing John Piper preach that. Why in the world can I see my property get plundered with joy? Because I realize that you can have that. I've got God. So we come needy. We come in a time of need. We only pray because we're needy. We draw near intimacy to the throne, a place of power, of grace ready to give out to us, to receive mercy and find grace in time of neediness. It's okay to be needy. It's okay to give an answer when someone says, how are you? It's okay that you, you don't have to say okay. You don't have to say good. I promise you don't have to. And sometimes I tell people that, if I can tell. Hey, how are you? No, I'm okay. It'll be all right. You don't have to say that. Because it might not, and you might not be. But that's exactly what Jesus is inviting you to here. Find grace to help in time of need. In time of need. I, Tim Keller has a book on prayer that is, is phenomenal, but he's got a, a little snippet in there that made me think of this throne of grace. We're going to end with this, and then we're going to have a time of prayer as we sing and get ready uh, to respond to God's word. Throne of grace. He says the, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water, pretty petty need, right? You're not gonna wake up the king for that, is a child. The only person who's crazy enough to wake up a king for a glass of water at three in the morning is that king's child doesn't know any better. Kid has a need. He's thirsty. Where do you go, Dad? I mean, that, that's the kind of access we have in prayer is that we can be just crazy enough to come to God with anything. And so as we end, 
even before Nathan comes up and we sing again, I want to invite you to do what we just talked about, um, to pray. And I'm going to give you a few minutes to do it, and we'll talk and we'll pray together. Um, but if you've never been to church and experienced silence, then welcome to Shalford. We're going to be quiet for a couple minutes here in just a second. I would love for this to be viewed like an altar where you can come get on your knees if you want. You can do that right in your chair. But I want you to take just a second and I want you to pray and reflect to God. What does it mean that God is inviting you to draw near? And what do you think about that? And would you take just a minute and pray to God? Thank him for inviting you into that kind of relationship. But just respond to God on that thought. God, you invited me to draw near. Maybe you need to say, hey, I, I'm sorry, I've never thought of it like that. But take just a minute and pray and respond to God that he's invited you to draw near. Let's pray. talked about receiving mercy and finding grace to help in time of need I'd like for you to tell God well, uh, what's your need right now in this time it could be anything but I want you right now to spend a, a minute or two telling God what your need is how are you needy this morning Think about the, those words, mercy and grace. I want you to think about something to pray for that is going to require mercy and grace. What's something that you're not going to be able to do on your own that's just staring you right in the face? It could be one specific, maybe a task, maybe a, a challenging relationship, a marriage, a child, a friend. Maybe it's just an inner battle, Lynn talked about the inner life, emotional struggles, 
Maybe it's a sin in your life. But what, what is something that you say, God, if you don't give me grace, I cannot do this. God, thank you for inviting us to be near you. Thank you for Jesus who makes the way for us to come. Because we couldn't come on our own. We couldn't get there. But God, your heart is for the lowly, the contrite, the broken, the weak, the sinners. And we all fall in that category. And so God, we do draw near this morning. And there's a whole list of things that we need to ask for. But God, there's something about praying that shows us what we really need is you. Not just your stuff, or not just your gifts, or not just your power, but we need you. We want to see you more clearly. We want to be satisfied with being in a loving relationship with you. So God, I pray this morning, I, I, I just can't go a Sunday without praying this, that if there's somebody here that's never stepped by faith into a relationship with Jesus, trusted him that he has died for their sin, been resurrected to new life to give them life, God, I pray that you would save them this morning. Help them take that step of faith. And then to talk to one of us about it so that we could help them follow Jesus. God, that I pray we would see you for who you really are. I pray we would love you. God, I pray that we would feel your presence. That's the sadness of our life is that we know something is true, but we don't always feel it. And we long for the day when we're in heaven with you forever and you make this earth totally new and we are here for eternity, that those two things will totally overlap. What's true and what we feel will totally overlap. But until then, we pray that we would feel what's true. And what's true is that you're here. Your presence is here. What's true is that you've invited us to the throne of grace. Let us take you up on that offer and frequent that throne often. God, I pray that I would come to terms with my own neediness. And recognize that I can't be a husband, a father, a friend, or a pastor without your mercy and grace. Of all the things we could be about as a church, I pray we'd be about uh, needing you. And of all the accusations people could lob at us as a church, I pray people would lob this accusation. And those are some weak people. They can't seem to get anything in line. But they keep showing up and praying and singing to this Jesus. They keep reading the word of this Jesus because that's exactly who we are, God. We blew it last week and we'll blow it again this week. And then we'll have weeks, God, that we're on the mountaintop of things that we just seem to be nailing it. 
And all along the way, you are near to us, God. We want to be a people of your presence. So God, would you send your presence down in a special way that we would feel it, we would know it, we would experience it, and you would bring our life in line. So God, I'm, I'm convicted this morning that I often ask you to draw near, but your word actually says for us to draw near. So here we are. We're drawing near. We're coming to you, God. Like the song said earlier, nothing in our hands, God. We're bringing. We're bringing nothing. They're open. And we're asking that you would fill them. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we are able to have this access and to pray. Amen.